Well, good morning. It's Breakfast with the Broker every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, you know, our past guests have been real estate guests, you know, influential in the real estate community and really bringing in um, amazing value and, and credibility to um, real estate agents and or brokers and the real estate industry as a whole, whether it's vendors, affiliates. This is one is a little more special. Um, she is not in the real estate field, but uh, she is in the college consultant field. And I can tell you right now, she is an expert. And um, with all those college admissions and all these college applications being so confusing, uh, we are very, very lucky to have her. So, And now, by way of Orlando, Florida, she is a writer for NBC News. She is a college consultant for Dunbar Consulting. She's a writer at Today Parents. She's a graduate from Princeton University. She's a mother of four, daughter of wife. She has been on the Katie Couric Show, NBC Nightly News, HLN, and Nightline. A proud Gen Xer and lover of the 90s, especially Madonna, Nancy Drew, and Michael Jackson. She is Allison Slater Tate. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Let's clarify Michael Jackson for a minute. I do love Michael Jackson's music, but I am a little happy about Michael enough. Jackson. All right, so, fair enough. Yeah. When, I, when, when I refer to Michael Jackson, I meant Michael Jackson's music, but I probably should have definitely clarified it. <laughs> yeah, definitely my first concert when I was like eight. But, you know, I just want to make sure that we're all clear uh, on that one. So yeah. as a fellow Gen Xer, I, uh, yes, I feel your pain too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get old and watch your heroes all, you know. Oh, it's a, and the funny thing is, I, you know, I, I also read, you know, Nancy Drew and all these other, um, you know, different things that you were, uh, I think you said Babysitter Club and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah. 16 Candles. Yes, those yes. are the things. I was a reader as a child and I, I read everything I could get my hands on. And so I like to say that I was, you know, shaped and made by those, those influences. So you can see where I'm coming from when I write. Awesome. So yeah. listen, I mean, you know, now I guess you're probably in the thick of it. Um, you know, all the college applications are, have, um, you know, a lot of them have been approved and, and such. And, and, you know, it's probably really exciting, you know, when you're consulting for uh, a lot of your parents, uh, you know, that are um, looking for kids to get into certain schools and such, and, you know, some celebratories uh, or celebrations and some uh, disappointments. Talk, talk, take yeah. us through a little bit through like the college application process, because it's almost become like almost like a science now. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think that it can get overwhelming because when you, when we were growing up and when we were applying to college, there was no internet. Um, and, uh, you know, which blows the teenagers minds completely. And I, and I tell them, I don't, I don't know how we did anything. Honestly, like, how did we accomplish anything actually without the internet? But we didn't have the information. It's not that the process was that much easier back then. It's that we didn't know how hard it was or how complicated it was. And, because of that, we also didn't know all the places that we could apply or the opportunities that were available. So I think that when we look at it now as parents, it seems super complicated and stressful and hard and like a, we need to be scientists to do it. 
mostly because we have so much more information about how the sausage is made. You know, the sausage was still made this way back in the 90s. We just didn't know it. Um, so I think that both parents and students get easily overwhelmed and intimidated by the process. So that's part of my job is to try and clarify and simplify it for them and streamline it and get it down to like, what do you really need to know? And what do you really need to do? You don't need to know everything, but you need to know enough to uh, accomplish what you're setting out to do. And everybody is going to have a different college goal or different college ideas. Um, a lot of it has to do with financial considerations and also just what the student needs individually. And so when I'm talking about the college process with parents and with kids, the first question is, you know, what, what are you hoping for? But when you ask a teenager that question, it's really unfair because teenagers have never been to college. They don't know what they want in a college. They, they could tell you what they want in a college after they graduate from a college because they will have had the experience, but they don't know what they're looking for. So um, you start the process by trying to help the kids figure out even what they're looking for. And that can be, um, it can be actually a really nice process. It doesn't have to be bad and stressful. It can be about figuring out who the kid is and what the kid wants and asking them for the first time, like, you're going to be in charge of you. Like, where do you want to be? So with the college process, I think the most important thing is to establish where will the student be able to thrive, A, um, which goes way beyond the bumper sticker of the college. Like, where is a college home that a student can thrive? And also, can everybody afford this? <laughs> because um, that is a huge question. And nobody wants college to become something that becomes a bad thing because it saddles them with financial debt forever. So I think it's really important for parents to be very honest, both with themselves and with their students. Students can handle it. They can handle financial parameters. I think we're all afraid to tell our kids that we can't afford something or that it's not smart. And that's one of the biggest um, hurdles for parents is to realize your, your student can understand that and they don't want to be a burden um, and that it doesn't have to be a bad thing to have a conversation about like what is financially smart and responsible and um, and then where are the college homes within that budget range that we can do. So, I mean, when you're looking at, you know, you're speaking with your with your child, you know, um, speaking with high school children is, is uh, you know, very, very rewarding because you get so many answers and they just talk and talk and talk. Right. Uh, yeah, no. uh, that's not my experience anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Well, just talk to their parents. How do you drag that stuff out? How do you, you know, I mean, we all, you know, obviously we see our kids in, you know, in, in different lights than uh, uh, maybe someone else does. You know, our kids, the smartest, our kids, the most beautiful, our kid, da, 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 da. You know, we have yeah. to be realistic as far as, you know, college choices and such. You know, what do you do when you're sitting down with a, a child who, you know, maybe the you have the really excellent student doing amazing things, but then you have the very, very average student, the BC student that, you know, is looking at their future, still wants to go to college, you know, what are their options? BC students have tons of options. Um, it's not necessarily, I try to tell the kids, there's we had some kind of 
perception that you have to be a straight A student to get into college. It's not hard to get into college. Um, more than 80% of American colleges and universities, and there's more than 3,000 of them, take more than half their applicants. So you can get into college. And in my own family, I have four kids. I have very different learners, very different students, kids with very different goals. So um, this is something that I've had to talk to my own kids about. And it's not about, oh, you're a better or more worthy person if you go to a top 20 school. It's about finding the place where you are going to be supported and that you can learn. Um, so yeah, the B and C students have tons of options. They, what it comes down to is which options can and do you want to afford. Um, our smaller private, private liberal arts colleges are um, sometimes more flexible with, you know, grades and scores. A lot of them are test optional, especially right now. And so you can have some good choices if you've taken at least challenging classes in high school. You want, you want your students to be as challenged as possible and hopefully do as well as they can in the classes. That doesn't mean that they're always gonna have A's. Sometimes they're going to have B's and C's. They still have options. But the whole goal, especially as parents, is to not start off by saying like, you have to watch your language, even from the time they're in middle school or elementary school. If all you talk about are you know, Ivy League schools or even in our state, the University of Florida, if you're talking about Florida all the time or the University of Miami all the time, your child is going to absorb the message that the only acceptable places to go to college are places like Florida or FSU or UCF or Miami. Um, you need to uh, remind them like every college has gifts and strengths and wonderful programs it really is about the program and not about the school in general. I, I will use this example because it's something I know well. I went to Princeton. I'm very involved as an alum. And I was talking to the senior class officers uh, at Princeton earlier this year. And one of them said, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have chosen Princeton. And I was, what? Like, why not? You know, um, of course, I think Princeton is amazing, but also, you know, I think in general, it has a pretty good reputation. And she said, I, I want to be a clinical psychologist. And the psychology department at Princeton is not focused on clinical psychology. It is an academic research oriented psychology department. Um, it would have been better to go to a different school that was more focused on clinical psychology for me, like just for, for she said, for me, for my goals, it would have been better, which is very valid and a really good example of you should go to the program that's going to support you and not just the name. Like you want to make sure that the college that you're going to has both the programs and that the program itself has the professors and the philosophy that is going to support your goals. Because it's not doing her much good to have a degree in psychology from a school that doesn't have a focus in clinical psychology. So how do you find out information on these programs? Because, you know, uh, you know, you, you're speaking to your high school student who, you know, thinks she wants to do this or thinks uh, he wants to do this and says, right. oh, you know, I want to be in engineering or I want to be in, um, you know, special ed or I want to be speech pathologist, whatever it may be, you know, how are you finding out the information of these programs? Are you kind of interviewing these colleges as well as, as a high school student or yeah. and or parent? Absolutely. I mean, especially you understand as a realtor, like you're a consumer when you're looking at colleges. You're not, I try to get the kids to understand. They're not like 
waiting in a, a massive pool of people waiting to be plucked, you know, and anointed as the new college student. Like they are consumers. They need to approach this as the largest purchase that they might ever make, <laughs> or at least until they buy their first house, right? Um, so they need to you know, really look at this from a consumer point of view. And I also think that that makes the whole process a lot easier on them too, if they don't feel like they're just helpless and vulnerable, like they're actually, they have agency in this whole process. Um, so you can research by visiting campuses. And now the University of Florida is reopening for uh, tours on May 26th. FSU has reopened for tours. UCF was already giving tours, I believe. Um, FAU is giving tours, FGCU, like we're open for business. Um, and you want to put feet on campuses. That's what I tell the parents that even if the kids hate the school, if they go and visit the school and they hate it, they've learned something. They've learned something about what they don't like. And that's just as important. You know, when you're looking for a house, you want to look around and see what, do, do I like an open plan or do I not like an open plan? I don't know until I go look at it and I can mentally picture myself in this house and I can say, no, this isn't for me or yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, I can see this. Um, so students need to do the same thing with colleges. So first of all, you need to have the environment. I mean, some kids really want to be close to the beach. Some kids want to get out of the state of Florida. Some kids want to, um, be in a city, like they'd rather be in Orlando than they would be in at UWF in the Panhandle. Um, there's there's all sorts of different personality types, and the, it's really important for the kids to be able to place themselves uh, on that campus. So if you can visit a campus, and when you visit the campus, if possible, you take the tour and the info session that they offer because you will learn so much more about the college if you let them tell you about them. Um, it's the difference between wandering around at an open house and not really understanding what you're looking at or having somebody actually tour you through and tell you all about the features. You want to know all the features. And then for the specific departments and programs, you can look at the course guide for each university. I could pull up the course guide for UCF right now. I could pull up the course guide for UF. And you look and see in that department. And also keep in mind, like 80% of college students change their majors in college at least once. So don't get too married to it. But you want to at least make sure that they offer things that your kid is interested in. And then look at the classes that they're offering. Like what kinds of classes are they offering? Look at the professors. Go on Rate My Professor and kind of see how they um, what the kids say about them uh, and see what research they're doing. Because the research that those professors are doing, the faculty is what makes up the department and the department is what um, the philosophy for the program is gonna be. So you really can do that kind of research. You can also ask the universities when you're touring or when you're visiting, you can say, is there a way that I can get contact information for an advisor in this department to talk to them about you know, what they offer or what the philosophy of the department is? Um, and then also I tell the students, go online and read student newspapers. The student journalists are the ones who are telling the truth on these campuses. <laughs> they're breaking the stories. They're telling you what the kids are worried about. They're telling you what the kids are disgruntled about. They're telling you what kind of activities are going on on campus. Um, you can find out a lot from reading student newspapers. So for both parents, because parents should also kind of know where their kids are going, and for students, I think that that's crucial. And then I follow them on social media. 
So if your student has social media, Instagram, not only just the main Instagram accounts for these colleges, but also the individual, like the departments have their own Instagram accounts. The student organizations have their own Instagram accounts. Follow them and see what they're doing. What kind of flyers are they posting? Like what activities are they posting? What are the students saying? You can find out a lot from that. And that kind of gives a kid a more like kid view of the college instead of what the marketing tells you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because I mean, I, you know, I speak from obviously personal experience. My daughter, like most uh, kids in Florida nowadays, um, want to go to University of Florida. And, um, you know, and, and University of Florida is probably, and yeah. you tell me, probably one of the most difficult schools in Florida to get into. Um, so when do you start? Like, I mean, we talk about let's get into maybe high school curriculum. So we talk about, you know, all these terms are being thrown out, all these programs. You know, do you need weighted grades or, you know, regular grade? Like, you know, you're taking AP classes. Is AP better than ACE? And, um, and dual enrollment, like all this stuff is like being thrown at you and you're, you're relying on your guidance counselors and obviously the guidance counselors are good, but you know, someone like yourself, um, you know, a, a, as an expert in, in what these colleges are looking for, you know, maybe a little words of wisdom for the high school curriculum if you wanted to get into some of the, the top schools in Florida. So, I think the important thing to remember is that students are evaluated based on the opportunities that are available to them at their high school. So you don't have to panic if your child goes to either a private school or a smaller public school that might not have as many higher level courses available as a giant high school might have. Um, I think that parents start to panic when they hear, oh, so-and-so's kid had 15 AP classes and we don't even have 15 AP classes or we don't have AP classes at all. Uh, and they're like, how is my kid going to compete? Well, your, your student is only expected to challenge themselves based on the opportunities available to them. So what I ask my students to do is to take a challenging course load for them based on what is available to them at their school. ACE which is the Cambridge program, IB, AP, dual enrollment, all of those are higher level classes and more challenging. They show rigor. Rigor is important in college admissions. Uh, none of them are more important than the other. And I have asked straight up, flat out asked at University of Florida, you know, if a school is an IB school, but they also have AP classes, if the student doesn't take the, AP, the IB program, but they take AP classes, are they going to be dinged because you think IB is better? And no, they want the student to take challenging courses according to what is right for them. And then they will evaluate them within that. So um, if a student, you know, what every single parent asks at some point is, is it better to take honors classes and get a B or is it better to take standard classes and get an A? And I always say there's like the Simon Cowell problem because Simon Cowell on American Idol would always tell contestants like, take a risk, like take a risk, push yourself. And then if they completely like flailed, he would be like, that was terrible. And they said, but you told me to take a risk. And he's like, yeah, take a risk and then do well. Like that's really the, the problem, right? Is that we want them to challenge themselves, but we also want them to do well. So what I say, don't be afraid of Bs. It's okay to take a challenging class and get a B. 
A, a B means this material was hard and I still did well. A B is good. So don't be afraid of Bs because I think a lot of parents want to pull their kids out of challenging classes the minute it looks like they might not make an A. Straight A's are a really boring story to tell a college. What does that mean exactly? If, if a child never makes a B, does that mean that everything was easy for them? Or does it mean that they worked so hard for four years that now they are completely burned out and they're coming to college like a total shell of a child? Like that's not what we want either. So you want to find balance if there is any, like between challenging them not taking an easy way out, not trying to get through high school as fast as possible, because that's another thing that I see a lot of, like, let's check all these boxes and just get through this as fast as possible. High school is preparing them to do well in college, which you're going to pay a lot of money for. So let's prepare the kids to take the college classes. And that means, you know, taking AP classes when appropriate or the IB program, if you want to sign up for a very rigorous and prescribed program, um, the ACE program is rigorous. Dual enrollment is rigorous. The one thing I would say about dual enrollment is that if you are in a dual enrollment class, you are starting your college GPA for the state of Florida. So if you are going to go to a Florida university afterwards and take that dual enrollment GPA with you, that is your college GPA. So especially this year, I mean, in a normal year, I might have a kid who accidentally gets a C in a dual enrollment class because it's college and the kids are not used to not having participation grades, not having homework grades to like boost their grades up, not having a relationship with a high school teacher. It's a, it's a college professor and they don't care that you're a high school student and they're going to have, you know, very few grades and you're going to need to do well in them. So every year there's a, a kid or two who accidentally gets a C or a grade that's lower than they want. You can't undo it. Like that dual enrollment transcript is there. It's going to the college. It also sets up um, for bright futures. You have to keep a certain GPA. So it sets up a, an issue with keeping your GPA up if you have a low dual enrollment grade. Um, and this year, I was on a webinar with the University of Florida yesterday, and they were saying, like, if, if you accidentally failed one of those dual enrollment classes this year, it actually could keep you from enrolling because they're not allowed to enroll a student who has below a 2.0 GPA. And if you failed a dual enrollment class, you're going into college with below that GPA. So it actually could be a problem. So just, if you're gonna take a dual enrollment, make sure your student is ready for it and make sure they understand the parameters and how a college class runs because it's not high school. So- You know, it's, it's funny that. because, you know, when I, when I speak to um, a lot of parents that have, have put their kids through dual enrollment, they actually say it was easier than the AP courses or, or some oh, yeah, of the AP courses. And, <laughs> and so you look at it and go, well, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, because the AP, you know, is weighted, I guess, as a 6.0. The ACE is at 5.0. The dual enrollment is whatever. You know, um, do you get college credits on ACE and AP and dual enrollment? And dual enrollment just starts your college GPA? Um, right. Yeah, the other classes don't start your college GPA. Okay. but you can get credit. Um, and, you know, I know that they're weighted differently according to different high schools, but here's the thing. When it comes to college admissions, they're all weighted the same. So dual enrollment, ACE, IB, AP, they're all one point bump in recalculated GPAs for UF, for FSU, for Miami, like for any of those schools, they're going to not take your high school GPA at surface value. They're going to recalculate it according to their standards because here in 
this I'm, I'm actually in a high school right now. Um, they only have AP here and dual enrollment and they bump it up one point and you can't have higher than a 5.0 GPA. But my niece went to Steinbrenner High School in Tampa and her valedictorian had like a 7.0 GPA. Like you can't compare those things. So the colleges strip the weights off of your high school GPA. They recalculate it based on their formula and they're only counting core classes. So math, English, science, social studies and foreign language. Um, and they're counting AP or IB uh, or ACE electives. They're not counting dual enrollment electives. They will only count dual enrollment core classes. And they have a different GPA than what your student has in their high school. So I would say, you know, the point of course selection is to prepare for college. That's the number one goal. <laughs> because we would like our kids to be successful in college and we want them to, to learn what they're supposed to learn. Um, and also one thing that parents get caught up on is they'll say, well, my child's not going to major in a STEM major, so they don't really need higher math or they don't really need to take physics. They do for college, like they need to be prepared for college work and things like taking the three core sciences in high school, biology, chemistry, and physics. Yes, your child might never use physics or chemistry again. I'm an English major can tell you, um, I do use physics to a certain extent in that I know that if I lean back too far in this chair, I'm going to fall over. Um, I knew when I was pregnant with my third child and gained a gajillion pounds that if I lean too far forward, I would also fall over. <laughs> uh, that's physics at work. Um, chemistry is cooking. You know, I chemistry I, I use in cooking and in knowing whether or not to use a fire extinguisher on a certain kind of fire, like that kind of thing. But no, I don't use what I learned in high school chemistry or physics very often. However, that level of thinking prepared me for college work, even though I didn't have to do a whole lot of it in the future. So I think that we need to get away from feeling like you only take these classes if you're going to major in that in college, because by the way, your kid's probably going to change their major. Um, but you also need to look at it as this is preparation. Foreign language is not something that we get through as fast as possible just because we are required to do it. It's making neurons and like pathways in their brains so that they can handle higher level thinking in college and beyond. So think of it that way and look at things like take as much foreign language as you can in high school. They're probably going to have to take some foreign language in college. They're better off if they've been practicing it throughout high school. And even though we only require two years of it for Bright Futures, we don't even require it for graduation. I think everybody thinks we require it for graduation. We don't. We require it for Bright Futures. But the colleges would prefer you to have two years of foreign language. They are looking for two years of foreign language. Um, but they're also probably going to make you take some when you get there. So it would be easier if you have it. And at UF and FSU, they're looking for three years of foreign language. They would like you to have more foreign language than not. They would like you to have biology, chemistry, and physics. They would like you to have higher math. They would like you to stay on that core math track and be headed at least towards calculus, if not reaching calculus. Um, that's what they're, they're hoping you do. And by the way, I took calculus and I was an English major, but calculus is preparation for college. So think of it that way, because I think that we've gotten into a habit of only doing what's required of us and our kids and telling our kids, like, just, just get through this, like take it online so that you don't have to take it in school, do this, do this, do this. We need our kids to learn how to work hard and have a relationship with a teacher and know that this has value beyond checking off the requirement box. Awesome. Is it sign language, is that considered a foreign language? 
It is, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, it wasn't, like 10 years ago, it was much less accepted, but now the University of Florida accepts it as a world language and um, that kind of is the leader for the state. You know, they all accept it as a world language. If your child is taking ASL because they have trouble with languages or they're dyslexic or they have like some kind of reading or writing um, processing issue, then I would say you also want to investigate what the college's foreign language requirements are and if they will accommodate um, or give waivers for world language at their school so that you're, or if they are allowed to, some colleges will accept ASL as foreign language for admissions, but they won't accept ASL as a world language at the college. So you need to make sure that that's going to be something they can do going forward or that um, they will have some kind of accommodation. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, la la last few questions, if that's okay. Um, you, regarding Bright Futures, obviously it's been in the news about Bright mm -hmm. Futures and the, the changes uh, to, or potential changes um, to Bright Futures. Um, and, you know, a lot of people depend on it. You know, what, um, you know, it, it's hard to navigate all the articles and mistruths these days <laughs> and, and, and all the chat rooms and all that kind of stuff. Um, what, what's going on there? <laughs> Maybe you can enlighten us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would love to know what's going on up there, right? Because I don't know what is spurring this kind of discussion and debate. The things that have stood out to me are that um, the way the laws are written after they distribute the money for Bright Futures, they're allowed to use any extraneous money for other purposes. So if Bright Futures money is harder to receive and they give out less of it to kids who um, qualify for it, then they have more money to put in other places. It has to be an education, but I mean, it could go towards vouchers. It could go towards you know, private, like charter schools, like, I, I don't know. I, I have not heard what their agenda is in, in terms of changing Bright Futures. I will say there was a lot of confusion about when they raised the SAT threshold, um, which went into effect this past year, the, the SAT um, qualifications went up. That was not them trying to make it harder to qualify. It was that the SAT had been redesigned in 2016. And after the redesign, average scores did skew higher in general. So it was a recalibration when they did that. Um, so that didn't have much to do with this. What I would tell parents in terms of Bright Futures is that we should all be preparing. Bright Futures is never a guarantee. It always has to be passed and funded. So for sure, it's a goal to aim for, and we all hope that it remains fully funded. And I hope that everybody will tell their um, elected representatives uh, how important that is to them as a voter and, you know, definitely take them to task if they don't support, you know, our students and keeping our students at our universities, especially our, our hardworking, um, high achieving students. But I also think that we need to understand that it's not a given. And also, you know, because of that test requirement, some of our kids might never reach that test threshold. And, you know, volunteer hours are within their control. They can get the volunteer hours for Bright Futures. Their GPA, if they work really hard, a 3.0 weighted GPA or a 3.5 weighted GPA is usually within reach for a lot of our students. Um, however, test scores aren't always within their control. And what I end up seeing is kids taking tests like nine times trying to get to that goal 
it might not happen. And you don't want your kid to feel like a failure, especially your kid who has like such a great GPA and did all this service and has done well in high school. They're not a failure if they don't reach the score threshold for Bright Futures. So I would say, um, you know, Bright Futures covers tuition. Our highest tuition in the state is UF and it's $6,700 a year. We need to know that that might not happen and we need to be preparing for it. So awesome. Um, you have a, a, a great um, Facebook group. I don't know if uh, you want to promote yeah. it and such, um, but uh, I, I've learned uh, quite a bit. Um, what's that group and, and, and how do you find it? Um, the group is called Central Florida College Bound, and I called it Central Florida because I'm in Central Florida. <laughs> it's, really, it's really for all Florida families. I do try to keep it to Florida families just because we are kind of unique in our programs and in the diversity of programs here and also with the focus on bright futures i find that having a group with national like a national reach is a little problematic in that they don't know what bright futures is and they don't understand what we're talking about when we're talking about it so i've tried to keep it to florida families and so it's called central florida college bound and you can find it by searching on facebook for those words and it's a private group but it's searchable and uh, you just have to answer a few questions and prove to me that you are a Florida family for me to let you in. <laughs> I don't want to be answering a lot of questions about Tennessee. I am a national college. I actually have students in Madrid and Rome and San Francisco and New York and Connecticut all over the place. And I do know how to counsel students nationally. I just don't want to have to do it in a group where everybody's like, wait, what are you talking about? What, 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 why are you talking about that? Like, what does that mean? And um, it's just harder to do it, you know, in a public group. But I, so for the group, I do talk a lot about Florida uh, schools and the Florida universities and the private colleges and universities and how our students in Florida can prepare to go to any college in the country or the UK, because I also love the UK. So, and, um, what, uh, what would you, um, how, how do you, if they want to inquire on your services, cons consult services and such, um, how do they get in contact with you? That's a good question. Um, they try to get in contact with me in all sorts of ways. <laughs> so, yeah. and it's really hard to keep up with everything, but they can message me through the group. Um, they can message me through Facebook and most of the time Facebook tells me I have a message waiting. So as long as I check it, they can also reach me through Dunbar educational consultants. Um, our website is Dunbar, D-U-N-B-A-R consultants.com. And, um, they can inquire, through there and ask for me and they will forward inquiries to me. So, and I have an email address through Dunbar, which is A-S-T-A-T-E -A -A at DunbarConsultants.com. So. Um, we had one question. I don't know if you saw it on the screen. Yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, you're uh, qualified to answer that or not, but uh, yeah. if you are, you can answer. <laughs> yeah, so a senior who graduates and was able to acquire her AA in high school can she roll Bright Futures towards her master's if she doesn't use it at all? So here's the thing. When you, uh, the getting the AA in high school has become this big thing in Florida. But what parents need to understand is that earning your AA in high school doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean anything towards admissions most of the time. Because most of the time, students are still applying as first year freshmen to our state universities, in which case that AA doesn't mean anything. It means that they have credits, they can be 
applied towards the state universities, but something like the University of Florida is going to max you out at 45 credits. So you can't get all 60. Um, and they're going to not be declaring a major and not going into junior level coursework necessarily or be declaring a junior. There are students who do apply straight into college as a junior and declare a major after having earned their AA in high school. It's not what I would recommend for most students. And I don't think it's actually what students and parents are aiming for when they get their AAs in high school, because that's that means the students graduating around the age of 20. Um, and it's very hard to go on into medical school or law school or employment really at that age. So I think most students are earning their AA, but still applying as first time freshmen in college, in which case they would use their bright futures in college. Um, but you are not allowed to use Bright Futures for a master's degree, actually. It does allow for, I think, up to a year, a semester or two in graduate school. That's it. So it, if you can get your master's in a year, it might pay for half the master's, but um, it's not something that you should count on, no. And also, you have to have it instated. You'd have to talk to the Bright Futures office about how you would defer it towards the master's because there is a restoration process and it's they're very picky about it as you might imagine they don't want to make it easy for you to keep that money forever so you definitely would want to go through bright futures and talk to them about the application process that's awesome i always end the show and i know we went uh way over but i always end the show with uh two questions one is um what's your favorite all-time streaming series like a netflix Hulu series and what are you currently watching Gosh, I am currently not watching anything. All I do is work. <laughs> um, awesome. Because the seniors are graduating, but the juniors yes. are starting to apply. So I do work. I would say, um, what am I watching? I, over the course of the pandemic, I discovered Outlander. So now I am um, all in on the Outlander universe. And my all time favorite streaming show, I mean, it might be Outlander, but. I don't know. I used to work in TV and film, so I'm pretty picky about what I'll watch. And I also <laughs> like might have a heart attack if I watch certain things just because I know people. Um, but what am I watching other than that? Uh, oh, I'm trying to watch Dairy Girls because I hear it's really funny and I haven't seen it yet. And somebody also told me to watch Love Life. And so I think I'm going to try and watch that. It's got like Anna Kendrick in it. But I haven't. I honestly... My husband and my kids will tell you I come home and I do more work after I put the kids to bed. So, but well, I love it. I love what I do. So I don't mind. I don't mind it. I love well, working with teenagers. They are my TV show. <laughs> you might have a screw loose. So just kidding. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't. I mean, that is definitely, definitely possible. No, I, I, my husband and children would also tell you that. <laughs> I, I tell you the the passion and you know I love having guests in here that love what they want that love what they do um, because the passion really shines through and it shows that you know it's kind of a testament to you know what you do and how you do it um, and uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show and and shedding some um, really really good information good tips and um, you know on college admission processes bright futures and, and all of that and um, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and. Um, sure. I wish you all the success as well um, and all your students' success. Yes, and, uh, they're all successful. Everybody, the whole goal is that nobody's disappointed in April. You have to have options. So that's what the goal is. Yeah. And so uh, all the, the kids usually apply in um, as a junior, right? 
Genau, as a senior. As a senior, okay. Right. No, but they're starting. Like the ones, Yeah, they're moving up. So over the summer, they'll start working on their applications. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again. Have a wonderful week. And breakfast with the broker every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye, Allison. Thank you. Bye.